it's going to be a wild ride. So buckle yourselves in. Hello and welcome to episode 242 of the podcast by the NFL Scotland team. We are Stromash. And what a Stromash type week it has been across the NFL in week three. I am joined by Charles Patterson, Ian Stephen, and if I can be bothered to unmute him, Gordon McGuinness will also join in at some point as well. Gentlemen, great to have you all around. Cameron is in New York City looking at billboards and generally looking confused, but we'll get him back next week. I love the thought of him just wandering about Times Square, just staring up aimlessly at the billboards. Supposed to be working. All the billboards of uh, Aaron Rodgers (laughs) are just still there. Do you think he's trying out for the uh, vacant quarterback job? Again, he's done I mean, this before, hasn't he? <laughs> given given his uh, his belief in what he could, he could accomplish in an NFL game, I think it might actually be better than Zach Wilson. See, just <laughs> just, just very quickly in that Aaron Rodgers, Sky Sports should be ashamed of themselves for selecting the New York Jets game though they were meant to show on Sunday there, and because Rodgers was injured, they decided, oh no, we're not going to show it now, we're going to show somebody else. I'm telling you, since a certain person has left their sports team, Sky Sports have gone downhill, in uh, my estimation. I know, it's just, that's what, you know, class is permanent, that's all I'm going to say. You know? Own your mistake, Sky, own your mistake, you fell in love with Aaron <laughs> Rodgers at the Jets and it didn't work out for you, own it, show the game. Right guys, week three of the NFL, which was the biggest win? Arizona beating Dallas to hand the Cowboys their first loss, 28-16. The Texans beating the London-bound Jags, 37-17. That's a real mauling. Or was it the Broncos getting absolutely horsed in Miami? The Dolphins sticking on 70 points. First time, I think, since 1966, somebody stuck 70 points on another NFL team. I'll come to you all in turn yeah, left to right on football my commentators screen. always coming up with the 1966 poll. You just can't help yourself, can you? <laughs> it's contractually. Let's start with Charles because he's the first on my screen. Charles, which was the bigger deal? Arizona, the Texans, or the Dolphins? Uh, I took great pleasure from watching uh, the Cowboys be fraudulent again, which they, they tend to be every year at some point. Um, all the hoopla about oh, this is the best defence in the NFC, this is the best defence in the NFL, they've got a world-beating defence and then they basically get stomped all over by James Conner. Um, that was an absolute total letdown by Dallas. And actually, to be fair, Arizona have not been totally they've been, they've been useless the last couple of... Yeah, they've been yeah. decent. Josh Dobbs is alright. Um, you do wonder why they didn't trade for him like in the start of July instead of like the week before the start of the season. Um, Arizona are meant to be tanking uh, and going for the number one pick. It doesn't look like it at the moment, and they are a lot better than some teams that are own three, which I'm sure we'll get to shortly. But Dallas were just didn't show up, and it's not. It's got nothing to do with the fact that Trevon Diggs is out for the season. Their defense, you know, they they, they were out schemed because Arizona kept running away from Mike Parsons. And as a result, you know, you've got an amazing pass rusher there, but he, he wasn't able to impact on the game. And their offense, I'm sorry, outside of Tony Pollard, it's not brilliant. I don't I don't rate Dak in terms of in what he can do uh, in, in that offense. I genuinely don't rate him. Um, and they've not got enough firepower for me to challenge the top teams in the NFC. I so I disagree with that. I think this was more of a blip than anything else, but it was definitely a blip that was deserved on the day. It wasn't like, you know, they got a bit unlucky on a couple of plays here and there. Um, I think they'll bounce back absolutely fine. I think when you combine, so Pollard is, and you all know my thoughts on you know how good running backs are and how valuable they are. Pollard, I think, is probably one of the five or seven best running backs in the NFL. I think he's better this, than what Elliot was. Tony or Eve. It's Tony, okay. uh, and I think um, CD Lamb is a is a really good number one. He's not, you know, he's not um, Jamar Chase. He's not Justin Jefferson, but he's that next step down. So I think they'll be fine. the The big one, the big one for me, was Sean Payton getting his backside handed to him on a plate by the guy who was a Denver Broncos ball boy who they didn't want to interview for the job a couple of years ago. And Mike McDaniel right now is 
out Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan, the schemes that he has built up on that are phenomenal. Come back to that in a second. Just to finish off on the Arizona chat, mm. Stephen Lynn says his belter, Arizona <laughs> Cardinals, written off by most, they finally put in a full four-quarter performance to send the Cowboys on their way. We'll come to the Dolphins in just a second. But Ian, which of these games, Arizona, Dallas, Texans, Jags, Broncos, Dolphins, was the pick of the three wins for you? I think it was definitely the Broncos, Dolphins. And I actually felt, quite bad for the Dolphins because NFL Network Red Zone just cut away from them. They just, after about 45 points, they just went, ah, there's no point showing them anymore. <laughs> and you, you, I didn't genuinely realise that they were building up such a score because there, there was about four games, I think, that went into the late stages of the fourth quarter that were down to one score and you were focusing on them and you had no idea that the score was getting run up so badly to the point where they actually showed mercy and... Um, decided not to keep extending the score and, and go for the NFL record. Um, I thought it was um, quite poetic justice, perhaps, with the comments that Peyton made, blaming the previous coaching staff for everything that was wrong in Denver, and he's just made things worse. Um, they, they Actually, they weren't too bad for the first half. No, That's the thing. The defense just was, collapsed, was, and this is why I. Point. It wasn't hmm. the defense; it was the entire morale of the entire team. Yeah, you'd see them just snap. <laughs> Did you see two? some of the screen grabs? So some of the screen grabs are like the missed tackles, and it's like it's like a cartoon bomb has gone off, and there's just bodies everywhere, and there's like six Denver Broncos face down on the ground, and there's Miami Dolphins offensive linemen just standing all about, and there's a and there's someone absolutely flying through. They, 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 I thought they, I thought they chucked it. I actually thought they chucked it in the second half. That's the thing for me, that's the thing for me. When I, 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 I've seen many sports teams over the years, literally just hand the notice in. You, you see it sometimes that there's a culture issue or, you, you know, a team just decides, you know what, I'm not playing for this coach or we're not going to, you know, this is not worth it. And they realized at halftime they were getting out-muscled and there was the three scores just before the break. And you, you don't know what was said in the in the dressing room at halftime. I just thought they chucked, I thought they, I thought they completely um, walked out on it completely. Okay, so John Blair says Frank Smith of Miami Dolphins is the belter. For the first time in years since Dan Marino graced our screens, the Dolphins offense are a dream to watch. Frank Smith doing a fantastic job. Uh, Gregor Dippy says the Miami Dolphins have to give recognition for the Dolphins putting 70 points, even if it was against the Broncos. Ian Brown agrees with that. David Brown says the same. Alex Beaton, the Broncos were bad in Miami, but Miami are looking awesome on offense. What a great team to watch right now. Joe Stephen, I mean, 70 points. And George Jackson, I know it was against the Broncos, but there's no scenario where that offense doesn't get the Belter Award. Paddy Kelly says, Miami Dolphins offense, utterly flawless. Even when they put in the backups, they continue to obliterate the Broncos, clearly the best in the AFC after three games. I, I think it's that's kind of hard fair. against yeah, yeah I, I think that's probably fair. Like right now, I, I get why they're not going to be because the strength of the teams at the top of the NFC, you know, you've still got the Chiefs and Mahomes. But through three weeks, if you're basing it only on this season, the Dolphins should probably be the favorite for the Super Bowl. The the offensive scheme is so good. The the touchdown to and the running back has changed his name. Well, he's not changed his name. Apparently, he just wasn't correcting people for years before now. Devon. De- Devin, go on, go on, Paul. You can say A-chan. it right. Achan, Achan, yeah. So his, I think it was his first touchdown. And what they did was, they they snapped the ball, and as they snapped the ball, they bring Tyreek Hill as if he's going to take like a little pop pass or a little reverse. So that obviously makes everyone on defense panic because oh my god, Tyreek Hill so fast, he's going to get the ball sprints down there. Two is even looking at him, and then little no look pop pass instead goes to Achan who himself is lightning quick. Adding him to that offense was phenomenal. They've got... The running backs combined for eight touchdowns in that game. Just incredible. The the Dolphins motioned, have been in motion for 59% of snaps this season, which is kind of light years ahead of what everyone else in the NFL is doing, and it's causing defenses to second guess, and then they're playing off of that. One of the other touchdowns they had... um, it looked like they were going to be giving the ball to 
Achan in motion and they ran a, a counter off of it with Mostert and the entire Denver defence fell over. But the, it was poor play from them as well. The interior line got dominated. There was a couple of plays where like five Broncos defenders dove at the feet of running backs and didn't make the tackle. But to, to kind of give the best example of how much the heart has been ripped out of the Denver Broncos after that loss. If you can imagine Paul coming home after a hard day's work, commentating in the heady and drugs-fueled world of uh, lawn bowls, you come home thinking, I get to see my beautiful wife, who I'm madly in love with. She's the apple of my eye. And you're giggling, giggling coming from the bedroom, Paul. Giggling, I tell you. And you go upstairs, and to your dismay, there you see your wife with Cameron Hobbs, listening to his whiskey podcast, you would be devastated. And that's exactly how the Denver Broncos feel after that complete and utter shellacking. It's genuinely hard to know how to answer that, so I won't. Um, what an image, by the way. We, Dear Lord. Before we move <laughs> away from the big ones, very little love, guys, for the Texans win over the Jags. 37-17. Texans have been good. I think they've been all right. And the Jags are not... They're not up to speed yet. I don't think that that's as big a shock as people would make out because the Texans have, I think, won out of the last 25. I think they've won 20 of the last 25 against the Jags. It's, you know, it's an, it's an, it's an in, in-division rivalry. So they're decent. And CJ Stroud, three weeks in, has not thrown an interception. So. I, and, and also, so he's got better each week as well. Um, the offense looks really pretty good. They didn't look great week one. Rookie quarterback in his first start against really good defensive coordinator. Second, uh, first half of last week, they still looked a bit rough. Second half of last week and all of this week, they look really good on offense, um, which is great. The, I used to work with our offensive coordinator, which I'm going to mention every time we talk about the Texans being good because um, he's a great guy, but he's doing a phenomenal job. The Tank Dell, who I really liked coming out of college, but he was the guy who was too small and also he wasn't lightning quick in his times so therefore you're too small and you're not lightning quick or we don't we don't like you enough so he fell in the draft but all he did in college at Houston was get open and catch the ball and we saw it in preseason for the Texans uh, and we saw it this week for by at a breakout game like really good young receiver and they so at the start of the season when you looked at their wide receiver depth chart you would have probably said it was like one of the worst in the NFL but Nico Collins is actually pretty handy. Tank Dell's pretty good. Robert Woods is, you know, okay as like your your third, fourth option. They they're a team who the big issue with them is just going to be the fact they don't have a first round pick next year as they try and build on this. Um, but they look far better than anyone thought. Just to rewind in um, sorry, I was just gonna say just to rewind on Miami, because um there was a bit of a love in there. Don't forget, last year they won their first three lost the first three, and two got injured, and he's only one hit away. That's the only thing I will say about Miami. we just got to yeah. be really, really careful in pumping them up as Super Bowl contenders because Tua is potentially one sack away from game over. Um, and as good as they looked at the start of last year, by the end of the year, they could barely score with Skylar Thompson at quarterback. So, yeah. Counterpoint to that, they're moving, so they're moving quicker. So one of the yep. reasons why he why they're able to keep him upright this year is they're moving quicker. I saw a really good tweet. I want to say it was Benjamin Solak, who is really really good NFL analyst. He, you know, looks a lot younger than he is, but he's very very smart. Um, he tweeted out, I think it was last year the Dolphins' offense was just what if we just threw the ball deeper because they had Tyreek Hill and Jalen Model. This season it's like they've gone, well, what if we just did our offense? But did it faster. They're just moving quicker. They're getting the ball out quicker. All those things, hmm. and that when you talk about quarterbacks getting sacked, we always think immediately about the offensive line. Pressure generally is on the offensive line. A sack is actually on the quarterback slash the scheme because if you're if your quarterback is holding the ball too long and getting hit and sacked, it's because he is holding on the ball too long, or your scheme is set up for him to hold on the ball too long. 
Patrick Watson gives his belter to the league schedulers for serving up a very weak and unappealing late window that allowed me to get an early night. I don't think that was the original intention, um, but it certainly worked out that way. Uh, Reese Nguyen says, Matt Gay, incredible performance, an all-time NFL record, and he not only did it on the road, he did it in Justin Tucker's home. And Terrell Bernard says, Phil Spears, from pre-season fears that this man was not up to the standard required to be... Uh, Major League, never mind. Uh, he led the Bills defense in tackles for the third week running, seven tackles, five of which were solo, two sacks, a fumble recovery as well. Jason Hoffman says the Bills D, nine sacks, four interceptions, one pick, six, 15 quarterback hits, dominated the commanders. Sam Howell, it wasn't a day to remember. I'd be surprised if Sam Howell could remember anything come Monday morning after the number of times he got hit. Few things to cover before we get to some other topics. Let's go to the Colts over the Ravens. Gordon, after what you told me was a surprise one against the Bengals last week, that's a letdown. Yes. I and I was in an awful mood on Monday. Awful. I hate I hate losing games that you should win. And it was one of those games whereby they they were like complete architects of their own downfall. There was a nine-play sequence, nine, nine offensive plays towards the end of the first half where the Ravens fumbled the ball four times. You can't do that. They, they had a fumble. Kenyon Drake fumbled when the offense was absolutely cooking going downfield. They get at least three there, probably seven the way the offense was playing. And then Lamar Jackson, who throwing the ball has been good this year, running the ball has been good. The, the, the only reason why right now he is not in the MVP conversation is because he has carried the ball like it was a stick of butter. Is there an MVP conversation after three weeks of football? Yes. I mean, that's a, bit, that's a bit there early, is it is. not? There, there always is. Well, we're giving it to Tua, apparently. But then so, if he gets injured in week five. Anyway, so so that, that that's the <laughs> issue, um, is that for for all the for all the injury struggles, for all um, the... Uh, like Matt Gay being the only kicker in NFL history to kick fifty plus yard five, uh, four fifty plus yard field goals. The Ravens made a really dumb decision to call a fair catch on the um, kickoff after the safety, um, which apparently was something to do with. So they told him to call a fair catch because in the stadium the clock showed one fifty nine, and then when he went out to get it, the clock they reset the clock and it was now two or three or something like that or two or seven. And the coaches didn't tell him. But the Ravens had a ton of timeouts left at that point. So they could have called the timeout and said, don't call a fair catch, run it back. And that then saves the timeout. Oh, there was like three or four different things that if the Ravens just don't do that, they win the game because the Colts don't even get to take the game to overtime. The, Col- the Colts, to their credit though, were pretty good. Backup quarterback, they managed the game well. They did a good job getting pressure with four men. And on a rainy day, they did what the Ravens didn't do. And that was try and force the ball loose. Okay, a couple of other questions for you. Are the Vikings done? They lost to uh, the no. Chargers. Now, interestingly, the Chargers, uh, Paddy Kelly talks about poor coaching, and I'm going to come to the second one in a moment, but he talks about Mr. Analytics, Brandon Staley, again, going for it in fourth and one inside his own 30 and failing. They're lucky that they won that game. They might be lucky, but the Vikings are... <sighs> How are they going to get past everybody? That's the problem. There's three games down. Well, the the Vikings last year won 10 games by one score or less. This year, they've lost three games by one score or less. The chickens are coming home to roost. (laughs) This is what happens um, when you deal with fine margins. Eventually, it's going to come back and bite you. Um, They've got the best player in their division by a mile in Justin Jefferson, but their their defense is leaky, and Cousins is always going to do something that's a little bit ropey at some point and he's going to give you a chance which is exactly what he did with that final play and they don't have a running game I mean losing Dalvin Cook has been underrated they had a good running game with Dalvin Cook and they don't have that now so yes it's not good and they've picked up Cam Akers that's not going to change things um, I don't think they're out of it at all because the NFC as we've discussed many times is um, is not the strongest but the problem lies in the fact that you've got um, Green Bay and the Lions both 2-1 and one, and they meet on Thursday night the winning team in that game is going to be two and a half games up they they can't lose this week and not because so like they're obviously not 
you're not saying like you know they can't because they could go 13 and 3 at this point uh they could lose this game and go no it's not because there's an extra game you go 13 and 4 if they if they lose this game this week in theory but the panthers are one of the more winnable games in their schedule and they're absolutely not done yet because the NFC, I think, is going to be in position whereby a team with a losing record could potentially be the seven seed or nine and eight might get you in there. So they're not done yet. They go nine and five over their final 14 games. Fine. But you can't lose the Panthers this week because that's far too winnable a game. So they they are now in a position whereby it is every loss. There's no wriggle room. Yeah. Every loss makes mm. it significantly tougher to make the playoffs. And I they don't make, think they yeah. make it look very stupid, which is very upsetting. The good, I mean, the advantage that they have is Cousins is playing exceptionally well for somebody who's under that amount of pressure. I mean, eight sacks is too much if you're going to be a team that wants to win your division. Um, but he's playing fantastically well, but not everybody else in the, the Vikings is. And maybe the coaching's not as sharp as it, it could be either. Yeah, that that's that's an interesting one as well. Let's just have a look. Were the Bengals though lucky against the Rams, Gordon? I mean, they're they're playing with a quarterback with arguably one and a half legs at the moment. He doesn't look good. They were lucky in the sense that the Rams didn't play well at all. Stafford looked awful. Like try there were he maybe had like one or two decent passes downfield, but a lot of the ones that were caught were a little bit un- underthrown. Um his interceptions were Throws he just shouldn't have made. Um, like the Rams didn't play well at all outside of Aaron Donald. Uh, so that was probably where they got a little bit lucky. The Bengals are really good on defense, though. So they deserved it. Joe Burrow is not healthy right now, but you know, it, their logic for playing him was, and I think the exact quote from him was, I thought it was far more dangerous to be 0 3 than to potentially injure, further injure that. You know, they, they're a professional sports team and he's a professional sports athlete. That's their judgment. I don't necessarily think it would have been mine, but that's why that's why Joe Burrow's the highest paid <laughs> player in the NFL right now, not me. Well, it's it's one of about eighty five reasons. Well, that, there that, might that, be might be one or two, yeah. That that white all white uniform from the Bengals is class. Is class. Very, very beautiful. And I also love that the fans all showed up. They say like Penn State had their white out game this yeah. week. And yeah. then the Bengals do the same thing. It just looks good. Also, I think there's a competitive advantage in it. So I was watching the game today when the Rams got into the red zone and there was one of the replays and Stafford drops back to pass. And I did not see one of the underneath Bengals defenders because he drifted past. They're all in white and the end zone's all striped as well. And there was a point where he almost just disappeared. Like he went camouflaged in the end zone. <laughs> I love that. Right, let's talk about the elephant in the room, the subject that we've yet to touch upon. Oh, some, some more rumors for... about Cameron. Rumors about Cameron. What is it? No, it's not. It's, so, so the, the it's all is, about the halftime show. That. No, 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 no. Come on, that's too obvious. The question <laughs> is, is, is a fairly simple one. Is Deshaun Watson back as a quarterback? Did we see the backwards pass he had? That was funny. But, like, what's he doing? He, he was, was a minor improvement. He, he definitely was. He definitely was better in this game. But uh, yeah, that's you know, it's twenty-seven-three against the Titans, who'd done well the previous week. I, yeah. I thought that was that was noticeable. The uh, Lions, the Browns' defense is the is the like it's so terrific. The Browns' defense right now is even more historic through three weeks than the Dolphins' offense is. Like they're tremendous, and it's it's a combination of really good players. Jim Schwartz is their defensive coordinator, so they could be aggressive. Like, I think they are going to be really Schwartz. tough to what win. Do you mean the offense can be aggressive? No, Schwartz. So, like, so Schwartz isn't an aggressive coordinator. Schwartz is very passive as a coordinator. Yeah, but like, do you not think what he does with his defensive line, like it, like maybe aggressive isn't the right word, but like it always seems like his defensive line always gets a ton of pressure. He's, yeah, he's he's play smart. They do, and he's. I don't know. I, I don't know. He's always been in a place where he's had talent on his defensive yeah. line. I mean, Miles Garrett is a, a kind of prototype of what you want for a defensive end in the NFL. That's fair, right? I'm, I'm really excited to talk about play of the week. I've got the play of the week, and you're going to love it, Paul. You're going to love it. Some somebody suggested that the team of the week we should just be done with it and announce it as the Dolphins. Yeah, but I've got the play of the week. 
Well, mm -hmm. that's that's a that's a different thing. The key well, let's get, let, it's not just let, a different thing. I've it's a new the, it's a new segment that Ian just exactly. <laughs> we're love it, Paul, because it's the Saints. Oh, we'll come back to that can we just can we just give the team of the week to the Dolphins, but take one receiver out and put Andrew Beck, the fullback, in for his um, two hundred and ninety-five pound uh, punt return, and just pop him in. We don't ever put a fullback in team of the week. No, this is the week to do it. Come I on, think he's, I no, because he didn't, 200... he didn't do anything in offense. But it doesn't matter. No. <laughs> two hundred and fifty-five pounds. Charles, and oh, I'm trying heaviest... to embellish it. Could you be a shit journalist? Theory, the, the heaviest ever. Kick return was two hundred and sixty-five pounds. Who's that? Second heaviest man to return a kick. Who's uh, the heaviest? Come on, I'm waiting. For, can't what, remember, you can't throw that stat and not know the answer. I'll let you know by the end of the podcast. <laughs> so we're going yeah. team of the week with the Dolphins. Our new play of the week segment comes to you in association with Ian Stephen. Ian, it's all yours. Yes, when uh, the Saints were trying to block a kick. And uh, Brian Bessie decided the best way to do it was to reach over, snatch the long snapper's towel, and then throw it up up in the air and try and hit hit the ball with the towel when uh, the opposition was kicking it. That was clearly the play of the week. It didn't work, but it was no. absolute genius. Dirty cheating saints. Ab it's it's not illegal though. If if the centre brings, <laughs> it's not, not illegal to, to throw a towel. No, it's not. The centre brought it on, so it's it's the centre's fault. If you don't want to throw the towel, don't bring it on. You, I mean, technically, you could take your helmet but off. Isn't that like the beach ball incident in that Liverpool Sunderland game no, many years that ago? Was, Isn't, that was a it, fan that chucked it on. If the centre brings the, it on, it's part of his uniform. So if 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 you lose your shoe. I'd, you could pick the shoe up and throw it at the ball if you wanted to deflect the pass. It's not. It's not illegal. I don't know if that's legal. I, your hair I think you're you making pull, this up. You can pull somebody's hair because the hair forms part of their uniform, so you can pull the hair to tackle them. Yeah, you'd get you'd get penalised though. That's different. That doesn't mean it's legal. Well, it's, if if this, the opposition's brought brought it onto the field, it's legal for them to bring it onto the field. If you then access it, you can do whatever you want. If they bring their their, their play call sheet onto the field of you, if it falls off the quarterback's arm, you can take it and look at it. It's not illegal to do that. It's his fault for bringing it on. I'm glad we got that out of the way. But before before we get to the to the Saints Packers, because I hope we spend a lot of time on that. Uh, I do so. I think it was Jason Hoffman at the Bills defense as uh, his belter. I do think we probably it's probably flying under the radar a bit and probably a bit based on who they played the past two weeks. But after a stinker in week one, where if they just run the ball as soon as Aaron Rodgers goes down, they win the game. The Bills look pretty tasty again the past two weeks. The offense is moving the ball really well. Josh Allen looks, you know, especially this week, looked pretty good again. They all of a sudden, you know, look like they're going to compete. And we'll talk, we can talk a bit about it, I guess, when we get to the games coming up this week, because that instantly becomes like one of the most exciting games of the season so far this week. Yeah, it's one of the games of the week. And if people wonder why it's not been flexed to prime time, you cannot flex out before week five starts. So this is week four, and therefore Miami against the Bills will be a great game for everybody to watch. Right, guys, before we touch on the Saints. I've got to go through some of these touch, rants touch on that the are coming in. Yeah, we've got a couple Cam, of minutes left, Cam so we'll touch down. on them. Uh, John Blair says, I'm a Cowboys fan, but they make me so mad sometimes. have one of the best defences in the league, but when they don't perform, the offence is so shite that they can't dig them out where it's needed. They see defences win Super Bowls, but with this Cowboys offence, that's never going to happen. Patrick Watson says, John Harbour for not getting any media criticism despite his team constantly playing down to teams and underachieving with the roster that the Ravens has. Um, Ian Brown says, am I the only one on the planet that couldn't care less who Travis Kelsey is currently in a relationship with? With all the goings on in the NFL in week three, 90% of the NFL media content is focusing on, and these are not my words, gentlemen, some bang average modern day pop star attending a football game. I, oh, hang on a minute. I guarantee you, and yes, I am personally offended by that. Uh, I guarantee you that is the, the people who are upset at people covering Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey are the same ones that at the start of April every year go, who even cares about WrestleMania? If you See, if you don't care, that's fine. No one is telling you that you have to think this is wonderful. If other people want to get enjoyment in a terrible world that's rubbish half the time, just let people have fun. Let people enjoy things. 
see, I, I he's I so buying out. Hang on, I can see Gordon's point, but if you are a sports fan and you're seeing some pop star constantly being shown, it will irk you. You've got the right to say that and oh. to show it once or twice. Now, and I'm leading into the fact that it says, Paddy Kelly says, P.S., is it just me who's slightly happy that the networks have at last replaced Taylor Swift with the antics of Jackson and Britain Mahomes? At least we don't have to watch them anymore. And uh, he quite likes that. Well, to so what even the NFL knows that Taylor Swift is bankable. I mean, have you not seen the amount of money that Travis Kelsey's shirt sales have made in the last 24 hours? It's unbelievable. I mean, it's like he's he, he's now fourth highest shirt sale in in the entire NFL, and it's always quarterbacks. I tell you, it's tell you ridiculous what? the amount of traction that this has had, and the what, NFL know it. So what did what did irritate me though was I saw a couple of tweets from women being like men out there are scared to shoot their shot Travis Kelsey has Taylor Swift in his suite or something in Arrowhead I'm very sorry to tell you but the vast majority of us are not 6 foot 5 very attractive because to be fair to Travis Kelsey he's a very attractive man muscly multi-time Super Bowl champion multi-millionaire like there's a reason why a lot of men are not shooting their shots in these type of situations. Travis just, Kelsey kind of has a has a higher platform than a lot of us, I think. Cameron, can just, you just can you just sound clip this for Gordon yeah. saying, "Yeah, I was looking at women on Twitter <laughs> with tweets saying men shoot your shot." I'm, I'm just I'm just impressed he managed to say that without without stumbling over Spe- it. Was speaking great. speaking of managing to say it, Cameron did remind me, Paul, that there is a, a name and a, a thing you're supposed to mention. I believe it's a Texans kicker. It is, but unfortunately, that was on last week's sheet, which I don't have because I actually practiced it last week. I wrote it out phonetically last week, and I can't find it. So I'm not. Give, doing give it a go. Come on, give it give it one. Go I don't. Now. I don't even have in front of me. If you want to watch that, me, I'll have a look. So if, if you're if you're I, at a computer, you can just you can just Google it. I'm so busy trying to read these rants. Hang on, hang on. Do you know the best thing about the Taylor Swift nonsense is the fact that even Bill Belichick was perving over her yesterday. He was on the radio yesterday and he was asked, he does a Boston radio show, and he was asked about what he thought about it. He says, oh, Travis Kelsey's made some big catches in his career. This one might be the biggest. <laughs> and given that Bill Belichick has just split up with his long-term girlfriend, that sounds to me like Bill's having a go. <laughs> Good the, best, the best part is bit another I, I mean I've probably there's probably about 18 things about this that I think are are the best thing <laughs> I saw today so like so everyone's loving the fact that this is actually like Swifties are now getting into American football because they are like cult like in their obsession with Taylor Swift uh and one of them posted like an astrology chart and like a deep dive analysis on how uh, this person, they, they didn't know Taylor Swift's exact birth time and then in brackets, yet, I'm working on it, uh, but how like the day she was born matched with Travis Kelsey and the moon signs and how their bits are uh, how their um, star things coincide with each other <laughs> and it basically got to the end and it was like oh, but this, this part basically suggests that, you know, Travis Kelsey is going to have to be uh, comfortable with his uh, personal life being way more publicized if this is going to work out. Like, if you need star signs to tell you that Travis Kelsey is going to have to deal with a bit more publicity now, if he's if he is dating or there are rumors of him dating Taylor Swift, I don't need I don't need astrology to tell me that. Like, I've got common sense. Can I put yeah. it in a context for you, Paul, so you understand? It's the equivalent. No, 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 I'm, no, 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 no you've done that already. I'm no, going to no, no, ask you. No, no, I'm going to ask you. Did, did you decide Rama not to shoot your shot? With, no, did you not shoot your shot with Taylor Swift? Did you take the no publicity box? Was that was that the problem? She turned you down. Me. Yeah, I, I just presume. I mean, a handsome fellow like you, Taylor Swift, would obviously be interested in. You must have met her in the I circles in which I've, you moved. I have no idea who she is. Jamie. Well, not you as well. Oh, <laughs> dear me. Yes, you do. I'm not into children's music. You Don't take Paul's that's, side and be is, ignorant about it. That is, to be fair, that's one of the best insults you've given me on this podcast. No, that, I, that, I gen- genuinely, I, I, I'm, I'm beyond that. I, I think I stopped about maybe 2007 with any reference to popular techno, any any pop culture before that, but after that, I gave up. You've got to be pissed if you're Usher this week, because you've been announced as a Super Bowl halftime show, and nobody cares. 
<laughs> I, I did see a good tweet because like in the announcement one of them was Dion Sanders but the other was Kim Kardashian and it was like a tweet of it's like one of those videos I'm assuming from the Kardashians because as much as I do like my pop culture when it comes to Taylor Swift I don't watch the Kardashians um, the the mother of them was like you know, like folding up her bag and storming out the room and it was something like her uh setting up this week to have the rumors of her and Odell Beckham Jr. and Kim announcing Usher at the Super Bowl just to see Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift take all the take all the news. What are you what are your thoughts on Usher at the Super Bowl, Paul? Uh couldn't be more thrilled. I would have rather gone for the bride or the bridegroom, but if all we can get is the Usher, then that's fine. I just thought they could have aimed a little bit higher, but that that's just me. I think it's I genuinely I think it's a strange choice because he's not exactly been around over the last few years making massive hits. I just think the NFL is slightly out of touch with these things. But hey, go for it. It means that I can have a guilt-free <laughs> half-time break. Paul, Paul, they're trying to be as in touch as possible. They've got a game being broadcast <laughs> live. Well, who's it? Is it a, a cartoon version? The, be- the best part, though, the best part is Paul Mitchell believing that like he is more in tune with what the average person Who, who should it be? Who should it be this year, Paul? Come Paul and Oates. <laughs> Well, you could human league. The don't you want me, baby? Thank you. Anyway, oh, let's Paul, get come back out with, to the... come out with somebody current and shut them up, Paul. Come on, do it. Shut them up. Come what? on, hit, hit us with somebody. This, that, is, this is when like... we find out. This is when we find out that Paul's actually a massive drill fan. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Alex Beaton says, not a rant exactly, but why on earth are the Jets persevering with Zach Wilson? He's just plain bad, and I can't understand the rhetoric about how he's their quarterback and keeps improving every week. They, Maybe they the current signed... rate of improvement. Yeah, Trevor Simeon? Yeah, yeah. they have just signed yeah. Trevor, who, who wouldn't surprise me if he starts before long. Also, like, you've lost Aaron Rodgers. Would it, would it be a bad thing to have a top 10 pick? get a new first-round pick, Rodgers comes back next year, you try and win the Super Bowl once with him and you've got a first-round pick that sits for a year? Well, I mean, just to finish that point, I think it's it's unfortunate, but he reckons that because at the rate he's improving, he might be able to actually throw a few passes by 2043. But hey-ho, we'll see if that goes. Uh, just checking a few others... Uh, as an Aberdeen and Miami Dolphins fan, writes Joe Stephen, I can't shake the feeling that we're all going to ship for the Finns at some point in the near future. Um, before we touch on the Saints, Gordon, I do want to talk to you about this. Paddy Gully says, poor coaching, Josh McDaniels and his insane idea to kick a field goal down eight inside three minutes, not up to go for it fourth down, having made the same decision a few plays later. What, what on earth was that about? It makes no... So, and what makes it worse is that he got a do-over because they lined up to do it. They kicked the field goal and there was a, the Steelers had a penalty on the play. So they gained more yards. They gained a first down. They then got to try and again, they hit fourth down. Like you need eight points. If you, if you only need one score, go for that one score. Like, I, the and, you, and you've got Devontae Adams there, just throwing the ball. And then <laughs> like all the Steelers had to do once they got the ball back was get one first down. And then the game's basically done. Like it, it's utter, utterly bizarre, and it's bad, bad coaching to do. That. He's not. He's never struck me as someone who's completely switched on in that regard. He was like that when he was in Denver. Just you, bizarre think, play calling. Do you think that might be coaches that like to call plays at the same time as being the head coach? They can't focus <laughs> properly on game management because they're always thinking about I don't know coverages and and I I, I think that. I, I've always believed that play calling duty should be resting somewhere else, and the coaching that the head coach on the sidelines get overall management. He can you, dip in. Yeah, you, should, you should be a CEO. Your head coach yeah, is the CEO, yeah. right? There's like, it, but there's enough coaches out there, head coaches out there, who've done it successfully. I mean, you can't just say that the only successful head coaches out there are the ones who are defensive play callers, for example, because there's loads of examples of good offensive coaches. Um, well, so okay. So, I mean, Mike so, McCarthy won a Super Bowl in Green Bay. All right, so, fair enough. He's not, you know, and he's produced a decent offense in Dallas at the moment. There's maybe, just one example. Maybe the right way to phrase that then, though, is that certain coaches are not capable of doing both. So you should be either the one calling the plays as the offensive coordinator, or if you're a head coach and you cannot do both together, you should just be doing 
maybe I'll, if you're maybe if you've been incumbent for about ten years and you've mastered the the game, you can understand it. But Andy Reid was a, a fantastic head coach when he was in Philadelphia. He called the plays at the sidelines, and his time management was historically woeful. Hmm. The Eagles never reached the end of a quarter with all their timeouts intact because he bodged everything up. So, but look at him now. And then, of course, well, the enemy. He handed over. He handed over play calling duties. Well, well, no, but the enemy left because he wasn't. He was ultimately not in charge of the offense, so he went to Washington in order to call plays. So I think it depends that's, on the that's character. Well, it was the first two weeks. For the first two weeks, we were talking like not us, but they were talking about, oh, look at the Chiefs' offense without the enemy. Oh, look at the Commanders' offense with. And then we get this week, they play the Bills, get absolutely hammered, and the Chiefs put up three hundred and fifty points before the Bears even came out the locker room. I, I think a lot of it comes down to the individual and the ego of the individual as well, because there are a lot of egotists at that level, and if you are somebody who doesn't like to shirk the responsibility of calling plays. You see it. If there's an offensive coordinator who's becomes a head coach and then it all starts going wrong and then he has to relinquish play calling, it's not long before he's fired. <laughs> can, I, can, I, can I touch on the Chiefs very quickly? The sure. NFL tweeted out a stat um, that stated that the fewest games taken to get to 25,000 passing yards NFL all-time. Pat Mahomes broke that record. It only took him 83 games to reach 25,000 yards passing. Do you want to have a guess who numbers 2, 3, 4, and 5 are? 2 and 3 are blatantly obvious, and you'll be... Uh, Manning? Yes. Marino? Yes. Is that 2 and 3? Yep. Four and five were a bit harder. One of them used to work in a supermarket, as everybody oh, knew. Oh, Warner. Yep. The the number five, currently tied with Kurt Warner and Peyton Manning, uh, is still playing. In fact, it's not even still playing. He's playing. Former number one overall draft pick. Somebody who's lambasted has not been a good quarterback. Oh, Mayfield. Nope. No. Jamarcus so- Russell. <laughs> I don't think he reached 25 yards passing, let alone 25,000. Oh, Stafford. No. Um, he Stafford replaced him. Oh, Jared Goff. Jared Goff. Yeah. So if the NFL are tweeting this as a measure of how great Pat Mahomes is and to have him in a start with Jared Goff, is that, so is that what you were aiming for? I, and you have to put the stat in context because this is... Um, fewest games played started not fewest games you've been on the roster Mahomes sat for so actually if you were to factor in all the games Pat Mahomes is on 97 with Manning Warner and Jared Goff and the clear leader is Dan Marino and when you also factor in the lack of passing in the NFL in 1983 when Dan Marino broke through you could argue that Marino was still light years ahead of Mahomes when it comes to being an elite passer in the league. When you say about that stat, though, so I, I have a rule with the guys at my work whereby use any stat you want, but don't use a stat that suggests a player's good when we know they're not. So if let's say a quarterback is like the 25th highest graded quarterback in the NFL. Don't go and find a stat that looks like, oh, okay, he's had the fewest interceptions this season because our Graydon says that he's not actually good. Don't pretend he's good. So in this, they would get away with that in this one because we know Mahomes is good. It's a stat that says Mahomes is good. Yes, is it? It's not apples to apples, but no. Mahomes had Mahomes had one throw this week, by the way, that was just he has one every week, but like there was one this week whereby I think he actually like kind of jumped up to avoid pressure as he's throwing it right in the line. And it's just like in between two defenders, just Phenomenal. And and in the context of balance and fairness, the, the people of Pro Football Focus also have rules for you, Gordon, that you now have to adhere to as mandated by HR and your latest conversation. <laughs> so the rain that Ian spoke about earlier has now arrived in Edinburgh, certainly my part of Edinburgh, Charles. So no, no, I live on the hill. I'm in, I'm in the posh bit. It's always sunny up here. Yeah, well, I Arthur don't see... The, the noise is there. I'm in the posh bet, would be <laughs> Charles making a little dig at Paul, which leads us nicely into the next segment. <laughs> what game well, should we talk about next? Well, we can either talk about the Saints-Packers or we can talk about... Unbelievable, 45 minutes in Saints, and we've still not touched Saints, it. So, Packers, anyway, please. 
everybody stop because I've been told I've got to read this out. And again, if you can hear the noise of the rain on the roof behind me, that's what's coming across my microphone. George Jackson says this, and I'm reading this. So the Saints. I'm a Saints fan, and as per the Patreon's WhatsApp group during that game, I know Paul is going to go full in on Jameis. First of all, Jameis is shite. Utter shite. But he can't shoulder the blame for the Packers game collapse. I know he didn't get any more points on the board, and I really should stop there, but the defence were on the beach way too early, and I switched off. It's one of the biggest changes from first to second as performance I've seen, and the kick attempt was rank as well. The loss is down to the defence. Second half display in the play calling. Dennis Allen was a great defensive coordinator, but he is a pish head coach, and he has to go soon. I've been telling you guys that for ages. Um, that's where we were. In terms, of, he goes on to talk about Derek Carr not being a top quarterback. I absolutely love. I love the way Paul prefaced that by saying, "I'm reading this like he's just learned as a five-year-old, boasting I can read." <laughs> I've learned new words today. It's, it's been, this, it's been this is this is one of these scenarios where you know somebody who knows they're in the wrong and is trying every possible way to wriggle out of being yes. in the wrong, yes. and how and somebody who wants to try and find a reason and excuse to justify their argument. So, so let's. Well, so no, let, what you've got to remember, uh, Charles, is opinions aren't wrong. Gordon, they're just not no, your no, opinion. No, 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 Paul, Paul, you, you not you don't get to present this segment. I'm very sorry. <laughs> You're not. You're not you're objective. For this, Five for this segment, left. for this segment, you are not the host, Paul. <laughs> sell me, sell me on why Jameis Winston was either primarily or significantly to blame for this loss, please. Okay, I'll answer you. How many points did they score with Jameis Winston at quarterback? None, and it's the same problem the Jets have got. The Jets don't believe in Wilson. The Saints don't believe. In Winston, it really is that simple. Should they have lost the game? No, they shouldn't have done. The defense went on holiday, and the play calling was shy. It's not all of Jameis. I know that. I'm experienced what, enough. What What to is your that. What's your biggest issue with Jameis, though? Is it the <clears throat> Is it the tournament? Why would you Why would you go to your biggest rivals and take a quarterback they were getting rid of? Now it was for Tom Brady. I get that, yep. but we picked him up as a reject, and they shouldn't have done it. It's been a. He said this two years ago. This is yeah. an old argument, Gorb. So, so and it still it still remains true. We've mm. got a coach. But it's not the reason you lost on Sunday. Um. By the way, no one's given uh, the Green Bay quarterback any love. No, 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 no. at all. Hang on, hang on. Why, why get, should they? Twenty-two of forty-four. That's let's, shit. No, no. We're still talking Saints quarterbacks here. You're not wriggling out of this. <laughs> it is factually correct that the better Saints quarterback in that game was Jameis Winston, not Derek Carr. But you've had, just given us you've just given us a lecture on how you shouldn't use stats to make somebody I'm appear not, better I'm than not, they are. I'm not, they I'm scored not, no points with him on the I'm field. Not, that's the only stat that matters, Gordon. No, it genuinely that's, is. That, that's it the is. most it's that's the, the only stat that mattered idea. It's not. You take it. The Saints lost that game. They didn't score any points with Jameis Winston on the field. That's the biggest thing. He couldn't get them down to a decent field goal position. And even they did. He goal, yards. Yes, even, he, even if they kicked the field goal, the Packers had plenty of time and all their timeouts to come back. So, no, they didn't have to. You're making stuff up now. Yes. It, so, yeah, yeah, so here's the here's the issue with the Jameis Winston argument is everyone is so clouded by that and I am not I'm not saying that Jameis Winston is fantastic I am saying that he is a 20 to 30 starting quarterback range or good backup quarterback in the NFL in this game he was better than Derek Carr third and goal at the end of the first half Derek Carr throws a pass that goes through the hands of a Green Bay defender that would have been picked off, and it would only have been fourteen nothing at halftime instead of seventeen nothing. James Winston. So on the final on the final drive James to get Winston, the field goal, James Winston threw a pass that should have been intercepted as well. I'm sorry, Gordon. It, no, it, it doesn't work like that. You've it got does, to look it at the team. Like it doesn't You've got work to look, like that. Look at the body of work and Derek Carr on Sunday, and Derek Carr this season has not been anywhere near good enough for there to be any discussion about the reason why the Saints won or lost was because they went from Carter Winston. It's nonsense. It's He's been poor. Time. They've been carried by their defence, which then collapsed in the fourth quarter. Or you could flip it on his head and say, actually, Green Bay turned up in the fourth quarter because for the first three quarters, they didn't. 
We've seen and, oh, like you know, listen. We've seen games like this before, Charles. It's no yep. great surprise. And let's be honest: as soon as Green Bay scored one touchdown, everybody knew they were going to win that game. Because because Jameis Winston was then running onto the pitch in a Packers uniform, <laughs> taking, taking the ball away. Everybody knew this. The same. If you combine the coaching, Pete Carmichael and Dennis Allen, did simply he, not. Did he key enough. your car or something when you were in New Orleans in the summer? S- simply not. <laughs> good like... I, either of them. I, look, so, so there well, you go. Look, a seventeen. You had a seventeen nil lead going into the fourth quarter. That is the biggest fourth quarter comeback in Green Bay history. That is a defense. It's on the defense. Now you can complain about the head coach, but it's on the defense. And by the way, you still had a chance to win the game, and the kicker shanked it from forty three yards. And, the, and the it's so got nothing to do with Jameis. It really doesn't. And actually, give some credit to Rashawn Gary for knocking Derek Carr out of the game. Three sacks. And, and give give credit to uh, Lafleur. So, yeah, Paul, for in, in the two point conversion. Yes. In any of the belters this week, were there any suggestions for Lafleur going for two at that point? No, in the no there wasn't. Surprisingly, so, th- this is my this is my rant of the week. This is what we Go do on, all the time when it comes to analytics. Brandon Staley goes for it on fourth and one in his own territory, doesn't get it. Oh, these fucking idiots with our probably shouldn't drop the F word Cameron can delete that if he wants. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the, these guys with their these nerds with their glasses and they just sit there and look at their computers and oh, they decide this, blah, 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 blah. Don't get it, it's the worst thing in the world. When they do get it, no one says a word. So what what um Matt LaFleur did in that situation is whether or not it was him or whether or not it came from the booth up above. But the reason why you go for two in that situation is because you are statistically more likely to make one of two two point tries than you are to make none. So if you go for it and you don't get it, you go for it the next time, statistically, you're you're likely to get one of those two. You still take the game to overtime. You don't go for it. Sorry, you go for it and get it. All you need to do is kick the extra point and you score the next touchdown, you win the game. And that's what they did. Great coaching. Mm. Oh, so they were going they were they were going for it on fourth down all day, and there was about two or three fourth down conversions they failed to get, and eventually it came off. So so two I, point I'm conversions are the same. Don't worry, hey Paul, Paul. At the end of the day, you got your burger from the bet, so you should be happy with that because well, you covered on. the two. Yes, he covered it by two points. Oh, it was a two Saints, point cover. The Saints weren't favourite. I thought it was the other way around. No, no. Nah, nah. So yeah. you can go and munch your vegan burger or whatever it's going to be, halloumi burger in peace, and just chow on that. Now you'll be buying it for me, so I look forward to. I that will show. with some uh, really spicy t- sauce on top. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Ian, in terms of the, the two-point thing, I mean, I was horrified that Green Bay went for two, two, but not because of what Gordon's just outlined, because I knew A, they were going to get it, and B, it put the Saints in even more peril after that. Do you, Are we going to see more coaches going down this route? Uh, the, the more younger generation coaches that come through that trust analytics, yes. Until then, until there's some other sort of uh, revision and thinking and something else propagates but aggression definitely seems to be the way it's like the college game seeping into the NFL you're probably going to start getting college overtime rules where everybody gets 26 attempts to score um, but that that's the kind of way but one thing that is making a comeback is quite interesting is fullbacks uh, a lot of the big runs this week were because of running from eye formation and fullback being involved out of de- the um, Arizona did it uh, the Dolphins were doing it they were running with fullback I was actually I know so re- returning kicks uh, oh I found his name found his name go on then uh, he was three pounds heavier um and his name was, I think it was Fitzsimmons, uh, Casey Fitzsimmons. Oh, yeah. 258 pounds. But here's what's really interesting. Andrew Beck, when he returned that kick, managed to get to a speed over 20 miles an hour, which is phenomenal for somebody that size. Somebody that size is impressive. Go, going back to your point there when it comes to um, fullbacks, and like that's something whereby like when you look at all these analytics discussions and you know, it becomes like analytics people don't want you to throw the ball, don't want you to run the ball, just throw the ball, throw the ball all the time. That was true, but where the running game is making a comeback is because everyone was throwing the ball and we had like a passing revolution in the NFL, teams have now switched on defense to two high safeties far more often. And there's now it now becomes uh, more of an advantage to run the ball. 
Well, it's not, it's not just it's not just that they drop out a linebacker for a nickelback and they, they yep. ask their nickelback to tackle like a linebacker and can't always um, the, do that. You also you should run the ball. So I was looking at I, I was writing a, a Ravens like recap article today, and I was looking at like where they've had success running the ball this year, and everyone thinks you want to run the ball well, go heavy, get two tight ends in there. If your offensive line isn't blocking well, adding in two tight ends is not suddenly going to help you. Uh, block significantly better because if you have two tight ends in there, the opposing team on defense are going to bring more players into the box. So the Ravens this season have been far better when they've ran the ball out of 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers. So when you spread the defense out and basically say, like, you guys can't fit nine guys in here close to the line of scrimmage, you have more space, you hit on a couple of blocks, you gain five, six yards. Very quickly before we go, we need to have a look at the games coming up this week. First London game, Ian Atlanta at Jacksonville, both coming off a loss, but it will still be a busy old day down at Wembley. Is that worth watching? Uh, shall we go by what channel they've put it on in America to determine whether it's worth watching or not? I was watching the Monday Night Football last night and they were trailing it saying, you can catch it on ESPN+. Plus." Okay, they don't care. They don't want to show it. Do you know where you can also catch it? Where? Disney Plus. Oh, Disney Plus, yes, that's right. It's an animated version. Yes. But it's the only game that's on. Surely a network would put it on ABC or whatever because they would have unadulterated eyes. It's the only game on at that time. But no, it's on ESPN Plus. And it's kind of... circumstantial but i've seen tons of posts online where people try to flog their london tickets this year um there may be some empty seats in the stadium and this is coming on the back of news yesterday that portugal eh, brazil and spain are very likely to get an international game in the coming years yeah, I think we're going to see basically a whole round of international games. Just on that ESPN Plus, I mean, one of the reasons is they don't want to give up their studio shows, the pre-game shows or the studio shows, which they reckon will draw higher across a neutral audience than Atlanta against Jacksonville. Um, there we go. Miami against Buffalo Charles, 6 o'clock. It's the outstanding game of the weekend, especially when you look at Sunday night, Monday night football, Casey at the Jets, which no longer holds a great interest in Seattle at the Giants. It is the pick of all the games of the weekend. Yeah, um, and I think we touched on how Buffalo have found their form over the next two weeks. I'd like to see what Miami do um, against a proper defence. And it will be interesting to see if Jalen Waddle's back and how that will affect... I mean, it didn't really matter this week, but I think that that, that actually is... That's the game changer for Miami when it come, they come up against half-decent defences because you need that extra... I do think you need that extra distraction, if you like. You could see the way in which teams have been defending Miami is just not sustainable. There's something that they're, 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 you're going to get situations whereby there's going to be a better pass rush into a... There's, Hill's going to be... He's, he's going to be double-covered. And so... I think it's going to be interesting. I, I I would still take Buffalo to win that. I'm not buying Miami's hype yet. They are they are favourites, which I was quite surprised by. Yeah, even, I, uh, yeah. I, I just yeah, I, I think you, you, form form it can be temporary. I think but Buffalo Buffalo have shown year after year, last four or five years, that they are consistently good. And Miami are still they've still got to win a big game when it matters. So well, this is the chance. Gonna have a chance, Gordon. Which is the game with most um, issues? Should somebody lose Minnesota, Carolina, Denver, Chicago, or Baltimore, Cleveland? Uh, it's definitely one of the first two, just because whoever loses Baltimore, Cleveland, still gonna have two wins. And I think I, I, I'm weirdly I've been incorrect on most of my predictions when it comes to the Ravens this year. I think they're gonna get beat because I think the Browns are gonna get way too much pressure. Um, and it's in Cleveland. I think there's a real chance the Ravens come to London at two and three because they go on the road to Cleveland, then they go on the road to Pittsburgh, and they're not going to be easy games. Uh, so we can back to back wins for the Ravens then. <laughs> I, hope, I hope so. Yeah, I uh, can. I can tell. 
The only problem is if they win both of those games, I'm going to predict that they win in London and it's going to go about as well as it did last time. Uh, the, which never happened because they've actually missed the first time they're playing in London. They've never played in London. Played in London I, think it's, I think it's weird that the Ravens arguably have got the worst defence in the FC North. That's really weird. I, I mean... I don't think it says a lot about the AFC North. Yeah, I w- that, that's what I was going to say. I think it says more about the AFC North than it does. And I'd probably say on the balance of the season, <laughs> I can so see far, the cogs of your brain turning like, there, going, "Is this an insult, or is he actually saying something that's factual for once?" Yeah. I, I would, I would maybe push back on Cincinnati on the balance. Of the, like they were better last night, but on the balance of the first three games, probably not. The other two games, though, the the own three versus own three twice over, Minnesota, Carolina. I, I don't. Minnesota will win that. Yeah, I don't have a t- if Minnesota lose that, it'll be very interesting, but I, I don't really think they will. Denver, Chicago... Is- Who cares? So De- Denver, <laughs> Chicago is phenomenal, though, because I'm pretty certain uh, that the, the Broncos are favourites in that game. The Chicago Bears are at home against a team who shipped 70 points last week, <laughs> and they are home underdogs. Like that's that's the point where you just you think oh so we're drafting Caleb Williams next year. Well, if you were looking to go to that game, I can tell you that all the tickets that are available at the moment are still over one hundred and five dollars. Uh, there's not a great deal of choice, so perhaps wait wait till just before kickoff, you might get a better deal somewhere <sighs> along the line. Let's have a look just to to finish off the other games that we'll be looking at. And as I say, I don't think... I mean, the Patriots against the Cowboys, is there any real danger for the Cowboys in that one? Well, mm, yeah, I think so. Patriots, I think so, Patriots absolutely. really well against the Eagles. Their defence is playing well. Yep. Yep. I think that Dallas have not... Dallas have gone through this um, first two weeks, everyone thinks they're world beaters, and now you have to ask questions about them. They cannot ever put a string of results together that justifies the hype. And I think that they're absolutely open targets again this week. Excellent, guys. That's all we've got time for on the NFL Scotland podcast. Smash episode number 242. I'm away to nurse my hate of Jameis Winston, having been put firmly in my place by Charles Patterson, Ian Stephen, and Gordon McGuinness. Cameron is back next week. We'll announce all the September winners in that podcast for the first few weeks of the season. Enjoy the London game if you're going to. Let's hope it's a cracker. And certainly a little bit of fun there. But for Charles, for Ian, for Gordon and myself, thanks for listening. Bye for now. See, I was just waiting if there was going to be any smart arse comments at the end, but obviously no, nobody... You're, you're, you're too officious. That's the problem. You're very... Um, you're, you, you like keeping us in check. That's what it is. I think I think we're, we're only three weeks into the season. <laughs> There's plenty of time to just completely let loose on you. <laughs>